Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Breakfast on SEM. to you this Thursday, the 18th day of January. Once again, we're absolutely loaded this morning. Um, we've been uh, on fire. Well, we haven't, to be fair. Um, Joel Brooks, our magnificent producer, has been on fire because today again... There's no one he doesn't speak to, Joel. Live in the studio. And Tony Clark. Now, we've, we've read up a little bit on Tony Clark and, and Phil's going to allude us to uh, what he has achieved over the journey. But he's the World Players Association president He's going to join us live in the studio as well. Simon Kadich, day one at the Adelaide Oval. Pretty entertaining day of cricket, it must be said. Um, give us your thoughts on that. Xander Maguire broke the story regarding Taron Thomas. Not a good one for North and Taron once again. Um, he will be summoned to the AFL Integrity Unit today and, and facing some some more questions about his, his behaviour. And I spoke to the old man who didn't answer our calls yesterday. So what I have done is I've flicked my caller ID over to Chad, and I'm sure he will answer that this morning, knowing that Chad is the favourite son. Questions without notice, most importantly, your calls, 1-300-736-736. Rave reviews for my co-host has been doing a sensational job for the last two days. This is his final morning, but I'm sure he'll be back. Phil Davis is his name. Phil, good morning. Kane, good morning, mate. It's great to be here. As you said, we've been looked after some good guests, oh, and we're ready to go. What'd you make of, you, you tell me you're a, a cricket nuffy? What'd you make of yesterday's action? Well, first of all, I was very surprised we bowled. Um, yeah. Obviously, generally, Adelaide, you think to yourself, if we go all the way back to the greatest test ever, almost, and, and Warney wins us the test late in the day when it goes all the end because it's hard to bat in the last day. But we bowled, ball hooped around early. Oh, kudos to the Windies early, I thought. I thought they hung in tight. They probably didn't push the score, put any pressure back on our bowlers, but... The thing that everyone was talking about, and Ryan Harris alluded to it on SEN yesterday morning, was how they're going to go in terms of the duration. They're all very young, inexperienced, and when you lose six for 30, that's the, that's the telltale sign. I thought they fought and they scrapped and they went really hard, but then before you know it, you're nine for 140. Um, the test is basically over at that point. So there were, there were signs that they were going to be okay, but unfortunately, yeah. And then when they bowled, they bowled with a bit of passion, a bit of purpose, but you know, we're, we're, we're two for... Two for 60, basically, and you know, hopefully it'll be easier to bat today. You know what? I, I thought um, they must have a tea time at Kionga on Saturday at nine or something. Send them in, bowl them out cheaply, oh. make a big score, bat once, bowl them out again, game over in two and a half, three well, days. I that was my thought when he sent them in. <laughs> I remember hearing a story that um, maybe back in the day in Sheffield, it might be similar to the case, or no, second 11 cricket, you get paid per day. 
<laughs> so it's the opposite problem where they try and drag games out. Well, these guys have got guaranteed five days of income. So they're like, all right, yeah, what, what, what can we do? When can we get out and when can we play golf? What is the fee for what is the I think it's about fifteen grand, I think, per player per test match. It may be more than that. Um now. O four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. What are these players getting? Because if it lasts for two and a half days, it's a it's a good fee for a couple of days and then they'll be on the, the magnificent golf course or wineries of South Australia or they might just head straight back home. Um hey, I saw this which I've got a lot of talk about this morning, Phil. Good. I've come I've come <laughs> loaded. I saw this um, with what the LA Clippers have done, they've finally got their own arena. Yes. This $2 billion yeah. arena. Farmer so they've been sharing. That. Yep. That's it. They've been sharing with the Lakers, and it doesn't really feel like it's their home ground. It's, it reminded me of, remember when Port Adelaide used to complain about playing at Footy Park all the, yeah. at Westlakes because it felt like it was the Crows' home base and it was all suited for, for the Crows. Obviously, this is on a much larger scale, but uh, this will start next season. So they've been sharing with the Lakers since 99. They're moving in to a dome, which costs $2 billion in Inglewood. It seats 18,000 people. Uh, and amongst, this is what interested me, amongst the many features is a unique fan section. So the team recently announced details of a section called the Wall, Phil, which is located behind the basket. It's 51 uninterrupted rows of passionate Clippers fans, is according to them. It includes a standing-only section to house 300 of the most energetic fans who will cheer loudly, according to the team's website. But in the wall, there's strict rules. So 4,500 fans, those seated there won't be able to uh, cheer for the opposition or wear the gear of opposing teams. Yeah, I don't mind it either. If you choose to be a part of the wall, you and your guests can't cheer for the opposition team or wear any gear that supports our opponents. Um, and any fans who break the wall code will lose access to the section, according to the team's website. The fan experience is something that is... is all, I was speaking to my boys the other day because Never Tear Us Apart came on Yeah, radio. I love it. Yeah. You love it? I, I, was, I, I said to them... You know what? I reckon it's time Port Adelaide moved past Never Tear Us Apart. Yeah. Now this is just a, a flippant comment. I said, I said, is it really working? Is it? Does it have the same um, uniqueness and same buzz that it first did when it came in? And they said, Nah, Dad, we we love it. It is the best thing about going to the footy. So so the fans love that. But teams have tried different things over the journey. Mm. At, at the Giants, it's a little bit difficult because of. You know, the small supporter base that you've got. But what have you tried over the journey? And has anything hit with the fans? Yeah, I must admit, I really like being an opposition player playing Port Adelaide. Like, at all, I like the fact that we go, they do rudimentals yep. when they run out. And we're already on the ground as an opposition team. I mm. love that. The crowd goes mental. And they never tear us apart. Like, for me, like, as an opposition player, it's got the most amazing atmosphere. It's probably almost the best moment pre-game except for finals. Because in finals, the AFL take over and they... They make it a big spectacle, which is great. But up at the Giants, we did the tsunami warning this year, which ah. um, initially I was a bit skeptical when you're doing a tsunami warning and you're losing. And then by the time we started winning, it all made sense. Um, and we I like the fact you embraced the tsunami being back, though. Yeah, no, that was his first thing. And yeah, I remember, you know, we sort of problem was we we brought the, the tsunami came out. I think it was Jared Healy was the one that That's first um, framed it. But we were just playing all out offense because no one in our team could play defense. <laughs> so Heath Shaw and I used to joke that it was like we'd try to win the ball back and then we'd just give it to everyone else and away they'd go. So 
But then um, we realized that defense won premierships. So we lost yeah. the buzz around that because we tried to learn to defend and stifle it ourselves. So that was a bit of like a find yourself moment. So then, yeah, Kings brings it back. One thing about the tsunami warning, it's very cool, but it doesn't like, let's, for example, bring in the fans, like being able to sing a song, et cetera. So mm. I know that the Giants particular are always looking ways to do it and they're always trying to be creative and innovative in that space. But the hardest thing I've found is that if you, let's say you go to an EPL club and you know you never walk alone at Liverpool, that's been going on for so long. You've always got to start something, persevere when it doesn't seem like mm. it means anything until, you know, for example, your your boys yep. now love it. They love it. So if they now grow up with that, pass on to their children, all of a sudden it's ingrained and it becomes even bigger than what it is. But just getting past that hurdle point is the hardest thing. Do you like Sweet Caroline in Sydney? Uh, oh, it's Sydney, um, so not really. But um, It works, though. No, it's it effective. is good. It is good because like everyone gets involved. I think if you can engage all that. and The other thing is that the SCG is just such an amazing ground as well. So like... It all works together. Sweet Caroline's a classic. SCG's arguably one of the best stadiums in the world. Everyone gets involved. And I think if you can get full commitment by the fans, you can do whatever you want. Farmer, this stadium's incredible. People should look it up. They've actually built, I think it's the wall behind the bench is more vertical so that rebounds noise better. Because he'll do a few music concerts and stuff there as well. But it's all for the acoustics. It's like, yeah, it's going to be unbelievable. Yeah. So they're not known for their passionate fans. I don't think the Clippers. I think they're not really that rusted on. I went to a, a game. They played Golden State recently. And I mean, they're, they're good fans, but they're pretty, they were pretty disengaged. Let us know the craziest fans in world sport. 0433981116. And... I don't mind this idea for a, for a footy game where you, if you want to sit in this section, you are our most passionate mm. fans. I mean, we have we have the cheer squads anyway, so I guess that's a little version of it. But still, in and amongst the cheer squad is opposition fans, Guernseys and people trying to ruffle the feathers. Now, nah, if you want to sit in this section, you are our most engaged, rusted on fans. Would a section of, we could do 10,000, we could do 5,000 work at a footy game. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Guess what Tom Brady wants to charge? Um, to head to um, the so he's in he's in the country yeah for an event at Crown now a PR agency is inquired about hosting him courtside at the Australian Open and they got a response according to the Herald Sun <laughs> a two hundred thousand US to three hundred thousand US appearance fee per hour per hour and he gets per a free, hour and he gets a free good ticket exactly exactly right he would be what he, that would be the most. <laughs> It'd have to be one of the most expensive appearance fees. Oh yeah, I mean Taylor Taylor Swift would probably be number one, but Brady would be up there at oh, three hundred yeah. US per hour. Well, if you think about if you, if I said to you, Kane, tell me an athlete that you want to come. One, everyone knows who you are, but two, if they speak on a topic around high performance, you know, leadership, etc., who you're going to mm. listen to in the world? There's not too many that try. We had Kobe come out. Was that 2020, 2019? He came out. I went to his speech at, he spoke at um, Hamish McLaughlin, hosted that one at the Crown. That yep. was very cool. And this is obviously in that, in that ilk. Um, yeah. I think that that's, a, that's crazy. So I, I always take free tickets to um, the, the tennis, <laughs> so I'm not quite going as well as Tom. Well, that's what they say. That most celebrities who rock up to the Australian Open aren't paid a fee, but they're given, obviously, the seats, food, transfers, and sometimes clothing, depending on the sponsors. Um, but anyway, if you want to go and see Tom Brady, you can get a ticket for $149, which is a bit more um, price-friendly in conversation event at Crown on Jan 27. But would he be 
the most expensive per hour guest. 300 grand US. Um, my man Cam Green, how'd he go yesterday? He, he didn't have to do much with the ball, um, but he came in at an awkward spot at the end and, and, and survived. And yeah, no, he's, got, he's just going to be a great player. He's very exciting, isn't he? It, it was strange listening to the dynamic of the team. Well, you've it. you've been sucked. See, if it, you haven't been listening, I, I'm not. A, I'm skeptical of Cam Green because I think he has been overhyped more than any other cricketer for a long, long time. Yeah, but you remember that he's 24, 23. Nah, I get it. And I our next it. youngest is Labashane at 29. But just because he's young doesn't mean we have to praise him. Like so, everyone's praising him. He's got to a crazy level where you cannot say a bad word <laughs> about Cam Green, even to this. I was driving, I was listening to the SEN commentary team at uh, at the Adelaide Oval yesterday, and they went with this after he took that catch in the gully. Cameron Green, we just cannot emphasise enough, that was not an easy catch, but he made it look easy. It was flying through the air. And every time you see him do that, I mean, he's so still so young in his test career, very rare that you start talking about someone as being probably the best of all times this early. But how can you how can, how can you deny him that 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 rating? Uh, you know, I think he's in the top three I've ever seen in my lifetime. Now, Barat was talking about gully fieldsmen, not best oh. all-time cricketers. But have we? What has happened? Where that was. Phil, you would have taken that in your sleep. That was a very stock standard catch. Yes, he's got the height and he reached up and he, he took a sharp, I'm going to call it a sharp catch. But they have anointed him as the best gully fieldsman of all time just because he took a very stock standard catch in the gully. I've never seen anything like I've never seen an athlete or a cricketer or anyone in this country be as hyped as Cameron Green. Now, I hope he succeeds because he seems like a really nice lad and I've uh, I you know, heard a little bit about his story and his health in the summer, which has been a, a terrific insight and you know, serious challenges that he's faced with his kidneys, I think it was. But can we just pull back? Can we pull back on the praise? I think it's quite funny because what happens is at the moment, they're hoping for performance, which means we build them up, build them up. But as soon as he's expected to perform and he doesn't, we will go at him at a million miles an hour. Like this will change like that. So my advice to Cam is Enjoy ride it. this way. This is great. <laughs> when you're young in your career and everyone wants you to do well, they'll say all these lovely things and be like, but there's going to become a point when they expect you to do what Steve Smith does every week. And when you don't, you're in a lot of trouble. So just enjoy the good times. And who are the greatest gully fieldsmen of all time? I mean, I grew up with Haydos, see. Matty Hayden. He, he didn't drop many at gully. Yeah, he, he was, was unreal. Point's probably the more famous position with John yeah. T. Rhodes and Ricky. Um, but no, like Matty Hayden, I don't remember Matt Hayden dropping anything. No, he's a great. We had, we had some, we had some sensational fieldsmen. Oh, like yeah. Mark Taylor and Slip. How good was he? Well, we sort of had we Taylor had War, War, Ricky Ponting, and then we had, um. They were all pretty good. Yeah, Hayden was very good. Yeah, we, and then we had Healy or Gilchrist Michael behind the Clark stage. Clark was pretty solid. Yeah, he, was, like, no, he was good. We, yeah, we've definitely been, we've been very fortunate. In our, I must admit, my creating journey has been that good. I compare that to the people that grew up watching the 80s and 70s Australian cricket teams, like post-Dennis Lilly time. And they're all sad. And I'm like, no, we don't lose. We just don't yep. lose. Pretty so. blessed. All right, we're up and running. SEM Breakfast is powered by Kubota. For over 40 years, we've been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building Australia. There's lots you can talk about. 
the new wall at the Clippers Arena, would it work? And should we have a section roped off for fans only in their colours and you can't barrack for the opposition? Who is and who would you pay the most to go and see? Speak, who are you interested in? And Cam Green, has the hype just become ridiculous? Uh, i got a little hack for you on the other side of this that I saw on Twitter that I want to share. We've got great prize to give away thanks to Signet of Signet Boost Power Bank, valued at $44.95. And a golf tour town, a dozen limited edition golf uh, soft golf balls from Odyssey, the number one putter in golf. For those of you who want to jump on the phone next. Breakfast on SEN. It is breakfast. Very good morning to you. Thanks for your company. If you want to get involved, great prizes to give away for those of you who want to have your say. Do you lads understand how close he was standing in the gully due to the nature of the pitch? That was an absolute jaffer, that catch, says Kieran. Yeah, I thought it was sharp, Kieran. I thought it was a really good catch. I didn't think it was worthy of uh, saying he's the greatest gully fieldsman of all time, but some may agree with that. G'day, Kane. I agree with Green's overhype if he's not careful. We will turn him into another Cameron Wright. Uh, Cameron White says, Joey, uh, Kano, if you think Cam Green can't bowl, why don't you face him in the nets to get a better appreciation of his bowling skill, says Big Al. Remember when Piers Morgan got in the nets with yeah, Brett Lee? That, that I always rough. see those things. And I'm like, yeah, I'll face like a, I'll face Brad Hogg one day, and that was about the limit of a, a bowl I was being willing to face. How'd you go? Um, I guessed the wrong one once. And the other times I didn't, yeah, the other ones I didn't pick, but that's fine. But no, I, so Mitch Stark's a a big Giants fan, loves it. And we we always joke, he's like, we should go to the Nets. I'm like, no way ever. I said, if you can promise me the ball's always in my half and you bowl 60% pace, I would contemplate it. But yeah, that's like, as we saw with Piers Morgan, amateurs with professionals with a red cricket ball do not go well together. Doesn't mix well. Piers Morgan, remember he fully sucked up. He's like, he was bowling no balls. Like, he yeah. was though. He yeah, was bowling no balls. That's cricket though. That's how it works. You <laughs> bowl no balls in the nets. Just move on. You just cop it. He, I thought he copped it pretty well. I thought it was a pretty good performance from Piers. Well, we had to because he just talks so much drivel. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Hey, um, I saw this. Uh, I'll, I'll credit the Twitter account or X. Pig Mentality has alerted us to the fact, and this is excellent. So he speaks about KO and... Most of sport fans, I would think, um, have got Foxtel or KO, if, if you can. He says that the cost of KO is going from 360 to 420 per year at the end of February. But the little hack that he has given is that if you sign up for a club digital membership, so any of the 18 clubs, you get a free KO membership. So your digital club membership includes a free 12-month oh. KO subscription. And the 12-month digital membership, Starts at two thirty one for your club, the Giants. Very affordable. Love They're that. the cheapest digital member. So, so with that, you're already in front one hundred and thirty bucks because it includes the KO membership. You also get discount at the Giants shop. You get invites to online calls with Giants players. You would have done those in the day. And then the most expensive digital membership is Hawthorne at two hundred and eighty. But that's one of the great hacks I've seen. So cancel your KO subscription. Sign up to a club digital membership and you save 130 bucks. That is, this is one of the you great like public announcements of all time. Well is. done. He's done a well, great it's job. It's not me, it's pig mentality. So, on, pig mentality is now, but also like huge result for those membership numbers that we get every year that will be at an all time record <laughs> high in terms of memberships. And Binge will be looking at themselves, and be like, we're losing all this money. 
and their clubs will be like, we're killing it. We've got 400,000 members. Yeah. So, so, so it I could like be good that. for the Giants. The Giants will go through the roof here. The Giants need it. Um, some other clubs that need it, I reckon Gold Coast would need it. There's a $250 digital membership. You get $20 at the Suns shop. Uh, North probably need it. Two fifty, you get a kangaroo scarf as well. A cap. Maybe I'll, maybe I will do that. Maybe I'll sign up for a North Melbourne digital membership, get my KO subscription, get my kangaroo scarf and my cap, and a thirty dollar root shop voucher, and I can say to Kingy when he joins me on Fireball Friday, "Hey Kingy, I'm not negative about kangaroos. I'm actually a member. I'm in. One my thing money I'll, is where my mouth is. I will pu- also push the Giants that if it's digital, we've got the best social media team okay, it's in the country. Plug, it's not a plug for the Giants." I'm just making sure we look back. Who is that guy? Who is that guy? Jacob Gaynor. He's the yeah, funniest well, tell me guy about ever. Him. Oh, he is very. So he's from Canberra. Um, he's got uh, big energy. So he's like five foot seven, five foot eight, but looks twelve, and he is hilarious. Like can he, he is, play or what? No, he's just so funny. He's just unbelievable. He's like so he like banks up all these ideas. Then they have to get audited because if he did everything he wanted, we'd be in a lot of trouble. So he's like. So his he, his boss Allison, so she, he's the guy that we saw on camera, right? No, no. The, the little one with curly hair, the little small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So, so he, Jacob. he runs the account. So he runs the account, but he's so funny that like he'll have he's just I don't know for some reason he's that creative. But then so Allison, his boss, her job is to make sure what's below the line and what's above the line, and that's half the job. But he is unreal. He does some of the funniest stuff and. It's good to see that. And then obviously we had the big, big sound stuff too. So he sort of leveraged that too. So, um, hey, that's a perk of the digital membership. But all you're going to be, Kane, and tell your mates that you're supporting their team too if they think you're too negative. It's a good little hack. Thanks for that. on uh, social media. Did you see Ben Cousins at Richmond training yesterday? No, I did. I saw that and saw, you know, it's amazing because he's been really big for uh, WA junior football. So I know he was great for Stephen Keneally on that. So when I saw Nathan Broad and that as well, mm. you could see the connection there too. I, um, we spoke about those uh, people that have a presence. It was amazing. Like with everything that he has been through and put his family through and put his footy club through and put everyone through Ben Cousins, the still got the, the draw of that and the aura, like Dustin Martin goes straight over and all the players go straight over. There's definitely a presence about Ben Cousins and it's it's really good to see him in, in, in a good space. I did a speaking engagement with him in uh, the lead up to grand final week and it was, it, w- it was great to see. We spoke about him and is it time for him to be in the Australian Football Hall of Fame earlier on in the week and um, seeing all this and the work that he's done. I absolutely think it's time for him to be included with the career that he's had. SEM Breakfast is powered by Kubota. For over 40 years, we've been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building Australia together. If you're just joining us and waking up to us on the McCafe menu, our official coffee partner, Paul Marsh from the AFL Players Association, live in the studio with Tony Clark. Wait till you hear uh, about Tony Clark's resume. Uh, Simon Kadich from the SEM Cricket Commentary Team. Xander Maguire broke the story about Taron Thomas making a very nice name for himself on Channel 9 is Xander. Graham Corns questions without notice and your calls on the other side of the news headlines. It is SEN's 20th birthday tomorrow. To celebrate, we're giving away invitations to join us for celebratory drinks at the Sporting Globe in Richmond tomorrow from 3 and Gary and Tim back tomorrow. Um, so looking forward to tuning in well, to those two. Good. Tomorrow, um, which will be which will be terrific, a special day at SEN tomorrow. If you want to get involved, just give us a call and 
um, you can head along as well, right? Let's get through the sport because Australia are in a really strong position after day one of the first test against the West Indies. The Aussies, two for 59, chasing 188. Um, Shamar Joseph was the star on debut, took the wicket of Steve Smith with his very first ball in test cricket. He took both wickets as well, um, getting Labuschagne caught on the boundary with a with a good short ball. What would you make of the crowd? 26,000 in Adelaide. Um, look, it's nearly footy season, Phil. It's a Wednesday. Pretty solid, I would have thought. Yeah, I think you'd be stoked. Obviously, we're used to in South Australia the, the day-night test match. So this was a bit of a change of pace. But to get that number on a, on a Wednesday was a great turn and a great atmosphere. And it's always hard on TV because, as we know in Adelaide, more people are out the back sometimes than, yeah. than the members. I um, So after I got off work, the gym that I go to is just literally on the outside of the Adelaide Oval. And I, I couldn't believe the amount. Of, there's, you know, the tailgate parties in, in the NFL. Yeah. Um, there was that many here, and I really liked it. So there's a lot of people that had their tailgate sort of party set up on the grass where the car park is. They were playing backyard cricket, having a few drinks. There was the barbie set up, and I thought, this is this is excellent. I think next year the test is coming back to the middle of December, which is a much better time slot for those. Uh, in Adelaide, for Australia, Cummins and Hazelwood both took four wickets with the ball. And then the BBL finals start tomorrow night after last night's match between the Thunder and Renegades was abandoned without a ball bowl because of wet weather. But that final tomorrow night, we've got the heat taking on the Sixers and then on Saturday, Scorchers and Strikers. Yeah, big story in the AFL overnight. The AFL is investigating fresh allegations of domestic violence involving North Melbourne star Taron Thomas. He's set to face the AFL's integrity unit. Now we're going to chat with Xander Maguire from Channel 9 with the absolute latest after 7 o'clock. Another disappointing news story for West Coast from an injury point of view. Tim Kelly, the midfielder, another hamstring injury for him. And he's set to sideline for up to three weeks, which is pairing with what Liam Ryan did earlier, who just had surgery on his hamstring. How difficult is it if you miss the, the bulk of January? Like, how important is January? Yeah, I've always been a big believer. Worst case, if you can just be running, even if you rehab and you can get you know, 30Ks in rehab, you'll be a chance. But main training in January, that's the, that's the time that you need. I remember... Very early on, got told that, yeah, January is the most important month. You need to be fit, you need to be firing, you need to get the Ks in then. Tim Kelly and Liam Ryan won't be doing that. Max Gorn has spoken. Uh, he says that the, he and the club are supportive of Clayton Oliver, taking as much time as he needs in order to eventually get him back to the game as, as healthily as possible. And Ash Barty, from a tennis point of view, she's admitted that, as everyone does, you miss aspects of professional tennis and there's nothing keeping her from making a return. However, mm. Barty did indicate that a comeback is unlikely as her priority at the moment is to raise her son, Hayden. We did a uh, segment the other day with Sammy Edmund called Hold Me To It. You give a, a prediction of what is going to happen in 2024. And you can hold that person to the opinion. I said, hold me to it. Ash Barty makes a comeback. I reckon I'm, 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 pretty, I'm still confident. She says she's missing. Now she's saying she's missing it. No plans to come back yet, but... She's only 27. I think we see her again. I hope we see her again. Alex Dimonor steamrolled his way into the third round after defeating Matteo Analdi, the Italian, in straight sets. Uh, at one stage, winning 11 games in a row. Storm Hunter is going to get a $225,000 payday. She's through to her first ever third round of a Grand Slam. Alexi Popperin was knocked off by Novak. Chris O'Connell and Jordan Thompson were also knocked out today. Max Purcell and our boy Tanasi Kokonakis, as well as Ayla Tomlanovic, are all on court today. Bunnings Trade can help you get back to work 
with amazing value and a huge range. I mean, no one has a bigger range than Bunnings. Um, I was asking you about the giant social media and I was... I got confused with Cooper Hamilton. Oh, yes, yeah, Cooper. To, so he's the bunny. Think. So Jacob's the man behind the camera, okay. and then Cooper is his bunny, and Cooper is so very So can Cooper funny. play? He can run. You'd love him. He's a great runner. Right. He works super, super. He's just young. He um, unfortunately was in the side last year, then did a navicular. So he missed the rest of the season. He's 20. Good country boy. Can run a 5.50 2K on grass cane. So you'd love him. But he's just disciplined and diligent. He's, he's every chance, Cooper, every chance. Yeah, um, a few people sending some uh, Ben Cousins love through as well. Uh, someone saying that we don't want you as a North member, Kane, layoff. Uh, I'm still upset that my old man only got one game for the greatest club of all time. It was five games for North Melbourne. We can ask out about that this morning. Um, from Brett, Phil, when you face Hoggy in the Nets, did you tear a hammy? That's a bit harsh. That's all right, so you didn't do that many hammies, did you? I'm in the last year, really. So, no, it's good. Kick a man about the career and the injury. It's good. Do you know what was a disgrace? Was the fact that you were on the rookie list. Yeah, I, that I, was, yeah, that was. I, that was a disgrace. I wasn't very happy about that, Kane. I took it very well. I told my manager that was okay. But I wasn't super happy about that one, Kane. One, the floor of the system. But two, it didn't feel right. But that's life. <laughs> Phil Davis was a rookie. Oh, what, a, what a joke of a system. Uh, but you're not the only one. There's some uh, very, um, well, senior rookies running around in the AFL, and that's a rule that, that, that must change. You are listening to SEM Breakfast. You can jump on the phone, 1300 736 736. Paul Marsh, Tony Clark, Simon Caddick, Xander Maguire. The old boys coming on, hopefully, if he answers our calls and questions without notice. We'd love to hear from you, though. There's lines available you'll get straight through if you give us a call next. Breakfast on SEM. It is breakfast with Phil Davis and Kane Corns this morning and our weekly recommendations for Charlie Battisti and Co. Melbourne's finest facility for the repair of prestige German vehicles. Get your repair process started. Our recommendation, let's uh, have a listen to how things went down with Shamar Joseph yesterday. And I reckon he's going to be a lot of fun for the rest of his career. Here's Dwayne Russell calling his first ball. And the way he batted, you just get the feel he'll take a wicket tonight. He had so much confidence when he batted. You can't see he'll be anything but confident with the ball. Yeah, That's correct. his craft. Correct. Then he comes to Steve Smith. Edge. Oh, it's no way. He's out first. Ball is bowled. Unbelievable. Gets the wicket. With the first delivery, he's bowled. To Steve Smith, one of the greats of all time. One of the great pieces of commentary. Dwayne just predicting that something is going to happen. Anything that man can't do. He's calling the, the AFL being one of our best ever. He calls the NBL now. He's dominating in the cricket and predicting wickets, Phil. And then Shamar himself is a character, as a lot of the West Indian cricketers have been over the journey. We love welcoming them, them out here. Here is how he summed it up on his first ball wicket. No, I mean, well, the first word I missed, I didn't miss my run-up. It was just nervousness, you know, bowling to one of the best batsmen in Australia team that I consider. So it wasn't my run-up, but it was just nervous. So um, I just went and built my mind, you know, to get the first ball right, just on top of off some, and that went good for me there. You know, and getting Steve Smith wicket is just amazing for me. 
uh, have you ever, like have you dreamt of like what that first wicket would be? Like was that just a dream ball? Everything just played out the way you thought it would play out? Oh well, I had a few conversations with the boys in the dressing room. Uh, I told them that I would get a wicket on my first ball, but I didn't know what Steve Smith. So <laughs> I think that that went well for me. So I went with a positive mindset. Very good, and uh, we also saw that he made 36 um, with three fours and a six batting at number 11. They asked him whether a batting promotion is in order. Do you think you might move up the batting order? Um, well, I'm not sure. 11 good for me so far. Number <laughs> 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 11 good for me so far. Been one of the moments of the summer, Phil. Oh, how good was it? It's refreshing. That's one thing you, you just never know, and generally when a cricketer comes to Australia... And they do well. It's a great testament to where they're going to get to in their career. We think about some of the great people that have come here. Remember Shane Bond came out early in his career for New Zealand, dominated. VVS Laxman. And so he, he's, he's definitely looking like he's, he's batting. I, th- I heard a stat yesterday. I thought it was like it was his first six in first-class cricket came in a test match. So uh, it was crazy high score and all those kind of things. So now he looks like he's a special talent. That was great to see. And I love the personality. Text for you, Phil, from Simo in Torquay. Phil, can you give us your biggest riser and biggest faller in the AFL this year? Jeez, I was looking Phil. at those. I was looking at those lists. I, I do have concerns for sort of the bottom. I'm really interested in Port Adelaide, more because I. You concerned? I'm a little bit concerned. Just I thought their finals, just were a little bit lackluster, and. I look at their structure of their team and I'm, I'm a really big Charlie Dixon guy. I think he's been awesome for so long and it's really important. Even when everyone, you know, he doesn't take the contested marks when he's in that. Yeah. But he's so important. He's getting old, those ankles. He's had a lot of injuries. And when he doesn't play, it looks like a different team. And then a lot falls onto Todd Marshall. And obviously we're all excited about Ollie Lord. They're, they're not super tall down back. I know they've tried to correct that, but we've brought in Zerk Thatcher and Radaglia. I, I just so have some concerns. Port Adelaide, your slider. Who's your Who's your riser? My you're, riser. You're all, you're all in on the Gold Coast, aren't you? No, you I, I, yeah, I know. I like I like Gold Coast. No, Gold Coast will play finals. I'm pretty confident of that. Yeah, they'll probably take Port Adelaide's spot. Just do a swap there. All right, there you go. That answers your question. Who's your biggest riser and biggest slider? Oh four double three, ninety eight eleven sixteen. Chris says it's clear Shamar Joseph will be the top three cricketers of all time. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> Daddy, I'm with you, Chris. Let, let's say, well, he's the best number 11 we've ever seen. Um, pretty sad if the best part about going to watch Port play is listening to Never Tear Us Apart. L-O-L. Um, uh, from Brett, Kane, are you going to be okay mingling with everyday people at the SEN party, mate, or will you stay in the elitist corner, says Brett. I won't be there, Brett, but you know I, you know I'm a man of the people. I would love to be mingling at the Sporting Globe tomorrow to celebrate SEN's 20th anniversary, but, but I won't be there. I'll be uh, on the other side of the country, or not the other side, but a little way away. We'd love your thoughts. Get involved. You can join in the conversation. Terrific prizes to give away thanks to Signet. Uh, get involved to win that. And also, if you want to go and head along to the Sporting Globe to celebrate SEN's 20th anniversary, give us a call. The 40 Weeks Temper Tex is open. The all-new Temper Pro is Temper's most adaptive mattress ever. It's here. It's a mattress like no other. And each Thursday, we chat about wine. Thanks to Ponting Wines. Use the code SEN at checkout for free delivery. That's pontingwines.com.au. Are you, are you a wine drinker? Uh, more recently than I was when I uh, when I was playing, yeah, definitely. Little what? 
Uh, more red, more red. Uh, I'm a Pinot guy. However, obviously being from South Australia, a Shiraz from the Barossa, like a, a Rockfords, um, definitely hits the palate. Nicely done. And also, I've got to tell you about the Toyota Caller of the Year. It's back starting the week of Jan 29. It's your chance to win a 2024 Toyota Hilux GR Sport. It's all thanks to Toyota. There's Toyota Hilux stock available now. Contact your local Toyota dealer today. We'll be back after this. Breakfast on SEN. It is breakfast on SEN. A lot of those temper texts coming through. Phil was asked a question. The biggest riser and biggest slider in 2024. He says, Port Adelaide are going to slide down. And he's big on Gold Coast playing finals. Michael says Power Smash Giants uh, were smashed by the Giants by 10 goals plus. Remember that, Phil. Kane, are you okay? Phil just said Port will slide, says Steve. Um, I, I think it's a reasonable assessment. I've, I've got my doubts on, on where they go. Their depth is much better than it was last year, but I think there's still some holes, and you're right on, on Charlie Dixon. Uh, so it's not okay to hype Cam Green Volcano, Pot Kettle, and Black comes to mind with you and your buddy at Port, Mr. Horn Francis. Well, I think the hype's real. That, that's the difference. The, the, the hype is actually real if you actually watch football and see what that guy did off the back of no preseason. But anyway, that's a topic for another day. Rise of the Bulldogs, Bever. Bevo to prove corn wrong. And I'm a slider. big Western Bulldogs guy. <laughs> the slider. <laughs> did I, I said that yesterday. I, I am. I rate, I rate the talent on their list. I just don't rate the coaching and what has gone on in the Are you last proud of yourself? Yeah, it's a waste, Bevo. It's been a waste of a great list. Um, and Slider, the Ds are in all sorts, says Luke. Where where are you on the doggies? Uh, no, I'm with you. I really like the the Ds, I mean, the dogs list. Sorry, we'll talk about the Ds in a second too, I'm sure. But the doggies, I like their list. Sometimes I think their midfield's unbalanced. I think sometimes they haven't... Like, I look at... We talked about Horn Francis before. Like, the Horn Francis, Rosie and Butters... Almost the the modern day best mix mids, and when when wines that is best, you got that big bull too. While I look at the doggies, sometimes I find their mix obviously ignore Bont because Bont's generational. Sometimes they need more pace when you have got McRae, Libertora, and the like. But I think that's where I thought Bailey Smith would play more, just because of his ability to spread and mm. get around the ground. So I, it'll be interesting to see how they go because I do like their talent. Their forward line's unreal, like in terms of goal kicking prowess, but chemistry needs to be worked on there too. Riley Sanders is young. Uh, the pick six. Is, is he quick, Brooksy? Let, let me, is, is Riley Sanders got legs? He looks like a, just from the initial YouTube sort of stuff, you see a, a really good accumulator, great ball user, tough, but he's been playing a bit in the midfield. Is, yeah, I think the talk is he can get from stoppage, Kane. That's what they say, like, he can get out. So he's he got, can move. He's got some speed, which I think okay. will really help them out. Obviously, behind the ball, they've had issues too, and that's where Sam Darcy, this is the hard thing. He's got, like, he's got Cam Green-like talent, Sam Darcy. They'll call him the unicorn. Say that again. Or, and I reckon he's the most talented player. The I reckon he's the most talented young player out of them all. Yeah. And it's hard when you're that big, like you, you've got to feel into your body and be able to take the hits. Like he got a corky and missed two weeks, I think. And like, that's just normal. And we're all like, that's different. But like he's seven foot. He runs a six minute two K. He's agile, but he's just lean. He's got to fill out into his body. We've got to give him a time. But if we can get that going, that, that's, that'll be a big part of um, Western Bulldogs improvement. Tessier in the breakfast this Thursday, the 18th day of January. Paul Marsh live in the studio with Tony Clark. Wait till you hear about Tony Clark. Simon Kadich, Xander Maguire with the latest, the absolute latest on Taron Thomas. 
Graham Corns, Brett Phillips with a tennis wrap. We're busy and we're powered by Kubota for over 40 years. We've been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building Australia together. The weather update is for City Power. This summer, be prepared for extreme weather and sign up for SMS outage alerts at unitedenergy.com.au slash notify. Breakfast on SEN. And it's a very good morning to you. If you're just waking up to us for the first time this morning, thanks for your company. Phil Davis is alongside of me on the McCafe menu, our official coffee partner, Paul Marsh from the AFL Players Association. Lots to discuss with Paul. He's going to stop by live in the studio with Tony Clark, uh, who's in charge of the MLB Players Association. He's going to stop by as well, one of the more powerful uh, associations in world sport. Lots to discuss there. He's a magnificent player as well for 16 years, if you don't mind. So lucky to have him in the country and in the studio with us. Simon Kadic from the SEN cricket commentary team. Uh, very smart cricketing mind is Kat. Xander Maguire, the latest on Taron Thomas after he broke the story on Channel 9 last night that he's facing fresh allegations and he'll be called into AFL House today to face the integrity unit. Uh, the old man, I keep promising you this Tony Modra story. I hope it lives up to how much I've been pumping it up uh, because he didn't answer our calls yesterday. He was at the dentist, um, if you don't mind. So um, we'll see if he answers this morning. Brett Phillips with an Australian Open update after the Demons stormed into the third round. He won 11 straight games against the world, number 41, if you don't mind. So he's flying and questions without notice. Phil Davis is alongside of me. So the news yesterday, Phil, in relation again to Taron Thomas, that he has been called into AFL House amid fresh allegations of domestic violence. These claims are developing. North Melbourne released a statement last night confirming that to be the case, but didn't provide any further details. So the AFL have requested that Thomas meet at AFL House today, according to Nine News. Now, he spent much of the 2023 season bouncing from controversy to controversy, really, um, before he came back and played the last 12 games of the year. I was, I don't know, I was really strong on this 12 months ago. I was actually going back and reading some of the things that um, I had written at the time that he faced more allegations at the time, but it was on the back of a whole whole heap of stuff. So he was stopped by police and driving with a suspended license during the Kangaroos Christmas break last time. There was another driving charge in 2022 as well in the lead up to this. Then there was all the allegations that he was facing um, and the club eventually sent him away after some strong pressure. The the club initially didn't didn't act as strongly as what I thought they would um, and they were slow to do so. Eventually they, they sent him away to do some homework, it's about as basic as I can put it, to do some homework on how to treat people. Now, they then announced that he hadn't acted in the way that they thought he would and they weren't ready to welcome him back to the season yet. So this was from March 24. Taron Thomas has been again stood down by the club, this time for failing to meet required standards of improvement in his respect and responsibility education program. Um, this is Todd Viney, the Kangaroos general manager of football, said that he had more work to do uh, relating to his respect towards women. Uh, Thomas was told not to attend training on Thursday after he failed to meet satisfactory standards of the education program that he had been completing with the club for the past eight weeks. We're here again, Phil. What happens? 
Yeah, I guess the hardest thing is that these are serious allegations and we've got the balance of innocent until proven guilty, but now there's a track record of allegations. For me, this this is one of the biggest things in football is he is such a, we talked about yesterday a little bit in terms of, you know, injuries when you're doing something that's not football, but then he's obviously an incredibly talented player. There's no doubt about that. But you one thing you can't beat a football club is hostage to talent. Mm. You have to have things that are bigger and that's And culture. do you think they have been? Well, I think it looks. Do you like, think yeah. if this was a if this was a lesser player, or a lesser talented player, they would have been gone at least twelve months ago, if not so? Well, I think they would have traded at the end of last year. Yeah, I don't think you would have hung around because this this thing just doesn't help the narrative around the football club. If you take away the seriousness of the allegations and put them to something think purely football, you, you just can't have this distraction. You have to be a very very settled club to be able to absorb this kind of. Uh, circus that's going to be around you for a long time and it, and it keeps following one player and it's not there's no sign of improvement if it just keeps coming back up back up yeah he's got lots of ability like he's probably in their top five most talented players Taron but for me uh, it comes to point where the picture is bigger than this and mm. I would be like this is this is unacceptable it's distracting and yes we've got to support him but support him on the way out and from a different position yeah, and I mean the, the the thought is always with with the victims. You're right; it's it's an allegation. Um, we don't have any details surrounding it, but when there's been multiple instances over multiple years, you think there's a significant issue here that the club has acknowledged and the club has clearly tried to put the work into him, work that they wouldn't have put into lesser talented players. I, I don't believe. Um, but they've been far too supportive, I reckon, of, of Taron Thomas. Now, the danger period for him was always going to be the off-season. I don't know whether these allegations happen in the off-season. We'll wait and we'll find out if Xander can provide any more information for us. But it is time. I, I said this time last year, I don't think he'll play for North Melbourne ever again. Now, they've been more supportive than most clubs, I reckon. And Jai Simpkins spoke the other day about how everyone is sick of losing and everyone wants to go in the same direction. They look like a hungry group. They look like they're fit and, and ready to go and want to start improving as a footy club. Well, it starts with weeding out serial offenders um, like this. And, and as always, uh, the thoughts are, are with the alleged victims in this. North fans, what should happen? Are you, are you sick of it? And has the club been far too forgiving of a player they essentially sent away just to do some homework and then welcomed him back for the last 12 weeks of the season. And we are here again. Max Gorn spoke on Triple M yesterday. He gave the latest update on star midfielder Clayton Oliver. He's had his challenges, especially over the last couple of weeks. Sure. Um, yeah, we, we, we all just want the best version of Clayton possible. Mm. Um, if that is being in and around the football club, then come tomorrow and we'll have um, the best time ever. If it's not, if it's to have a bit of time away and work mm. on himself... Um, I'm also supportive of that. So Absolutely. Right now it's in other people's hands a lot smarter than me and um, hopefully we're getting back soon. Hey, how hard is it when uh, you, you know as a player and your club knows that every time you face the media, you're going to be asked about this one issue? Yeah, I, must, I was thinking about that before with Taryn too, but as like a leadership player, having the same thing come up over and over again, whether it be in meetings or the media, it does become like fatiguing, but also like you have to handle it with the due amount of respect and you can't just dismiss it because they're such serious topics, but you just get over it. You're just like, it's just a continual topic. Let's just talk about something else. 
So like for do me, you I, get training. Does the, does the club train you on the responses that they want you to keep? Yeah, you get like, you get a, a email at the start of every week with what we think the key topics are and themes are, and then specifically, you know, for the example, the client one, it'd be like you know Max has probably thought about this so many times that he'd get a call and hey, you're on Triple M. Are you all good with what you want to say about Clayton? Okay, blah, blah. Or you say, no, what do you think I should say? They'll give you some tips and away you go. Um, but it depends on your comfortability in terms of the reading and what you want to say. So Max is very polished, but you do, you get fatigued. And I look at the whole Clayton Oliver thing and I'm just like, he needs some space. He needs to work out what the best balance is because we all know he has some mental health challenges and if football's getting in the way, he needs to take some time away and Melbourne need to give him you know, the, the space to do so because this just seems far bigger than football at the moment mm. and he needs to go away and work on himself. I saw him at the end of last year and he looked exhausted when I, when I saw him and I was like, mate, you need a break. Um, so we, we wish him all the best. Now, you, you're, so footy becomes a little bit trivial and the win-loss becomes trivial as well, but how risky is it that an issue as big as this with, with your star player who's, you know, there's going to be cameras always that are clearly going to be asked about it every time, threatens to derail a season. Or is that overblown? Because we often hear, you know, a coach's future can be distracting to the players or issues outside of football can be distracting to the players, which leads to poor performance. Uh, there's a lot of people with the slides on Melbourne this year and, and they think it is going to be a factor. I think it'll be a significant factor. But it, is that talk overblown, do you reckon, Phil? Because when you're out there chasing the footy, you're not thinking about Clayton Oliver and what he's going through. But day-to-day and week-to-week, it does become monotonous. And, and No, it definitely does. And this is why I'm really big on remove ambiguity. So if, you know, Cal Ward did his knee 2019, ugly, our best mid, he was out for the season. So you just put that in the book, he's not coming back. Mm. But when you're juggling players, are they coming back? Are they not coming back? What are they doing? What's he doing? Is he going to be at training and that? You're actually making like so many decisions as you go that that is disruptive. So like having a set of information that you work off and that sort of um, clarity and surety, I think, stops that. And so for me now, I'd be like, all right, Clayton's going away. It's going to be at least 10 weeks. And you don't have to release that publicly, but as a player, like, okay, I'm not expecting to see Clayton anytime soon. I'm mm. doing this, this, this. All right. the mid, like For example, like the real basic, okay, well, who's going to be our best center bounce chair now? Got Jack got Christian, but now who's the third? I think that's what I always wanted because once you've got the information and it's concrete per se, you can make alternate plans and you buy into those plans. But when you've got a suit, it's like, for example, if I was playing at the Giants and Toby was like touch and go for a month with a sore ankle, you, every week like, I hope Toby's back, I hope Toby's mm. back. And there's that little letdown. And well, how did you deal with it? He missed six weeks for touching an umpire and that, yeah. was, a, that was a big topic. No, that was big. And it hurt us at the start of 2022. You'd argue that a few of our early games, if we'd had Toby, away we go probably. we probably win because we need a bit more goal kicking. But at least that was, we were sure of that time frame. Like it's disappointing. And that, you know, by the time you get to week four, like we just get, got to get through two more weeks and we get Toby back. So that's probably the thing for me that with all this is if you're not clear on what the plan is while he's not there and how long it's going to be within reason, I think that can create a distraction. Mm. A uh, lot of comments coming through off the temper text. Clearly, if you want, if you want to have your, your respectful thoughts on a couple of sensitive issues and how the club should handle them, and uh, you know, I think I'm clear on, on one of those ones. I mean, how many second chances and third and fourth chances can you get as a player? We'll, we'll wait and see. Of course, all allegations at this stage, but there's been many 
many allegations in relation to Taryn Thomas. A lot of people suggesting that I'm kicking north when they're down. Well, I think it's a big topic. I think it's the topic of the day that we have to discuss. If you want to do so, if you want to give us your thoughts, please do. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Xander Maguire was the man who broke the story on Channel 9 last night. We'll find out whether there's been further developments and he'll give us the absolute latest information uh, in relation to Taryn Thomas and North Melbourne. And SEM Breakfast is powered by Kubota. Take on any job with Kubota's mowers, tractors, and land pride attachments. On this 20th anniversary of SEM, we'd love to hear from you. You can join in the conversation with us and Xander Maguire to join us next. Breakfast on SEM. Wayne Russell cruising by the studio, doing a terrific job with the SEN cricket commentary team. Simon Kadic to join us from there and to wrap up day one of the Adelaide Test shortly. And the guys on air from nine o'clock today. Last night on Channel 9, our next guest broke the serious story relating to North Melbourne midfielder slash halfback, Taron Thomas. Xander Maguire is his name. Xander, thanks for your time. Morning, Kane. Morning, Kill. Thanks for having me. What can you tell us? Well... For this incident in particular, I can tell you that first and foremost, it's unrelated to anything that we've seen uh, from Taryn over the last couple of years. This is a, a new case with new details all over. Taryn will be questioned by the AFL Integrity Unit this morning at AFL House. He'll be summoned there in person. The alleged victim, I'm told, approached the AFL directly, and I believe the police aren't involved at this stage. And the club, in essence, have been sort of cut out of this process as well due to the AFL dealing with it, the integrity unit dealing with it directly. The club, of course, released a statement last night, which basically just said that they're working through the information and not in a position to make any further comment. So they're more or less in the dark about the details. And they're still, when I spoke to senior officials last night, are in the trying to sort of scramble and put the pieces together as to what actually has happened in this situation and what specific allegations mm. he's facing. It's a bit like the Joel Smith issue where Melbourne have been unable unable, sorry, to make a definitive statement of sorts because they've been cut out of the process there too. This has been sort of bubbling away in the background of the preseason. Josh Simpson spoke publicly, the captain, only two days ago, and he said about Taron that he's going really well, he's resilient, and we've seen that this summer. He's working hard and in a great frame of mind and that he was looking forward to seeing what he'll do this season. So the senior officials I spoke last night too, they said that the club stands by the statements that they made on violence last year which is that they take violence and any sort of threat of violence very seriously. And that, again, as I said, hasn't changed from when the distribution of an intimate image charge was thrown around last year and threats of violence were thrown around. So two days ago, the captain was saying he was resilient and going well. And now his career is much again back in the balance, mm. of course, in what is a contract year. No doubt about that. So just a couple of follow-up questions for me. So, so the alleged victim, Xander, is is a new victim and unrelated to previous victims that have accused him of, of misdemeanors. From what I can understand, this is a, this is a completely new situation, Kane. Mm. Yeah. And in relation to a possible punishment, sanction, uh, the end of his career on how serious it could get, I'm not sure where the degree will land. Is that the AFL that has now taken over this issue and they will be the ones coming up with the sanction here and not the club like we saw last year? At the moment, it's it's the AFL that has control of this because it's a it's an investigation that's being conducted by the integrity unit. 
Again, mm. like I said, similar to what what the what's happening with Joel Smith, Melbourne still hold the right to to punish Joel and sanction him as much as they'd like beyond that, uh, and that's the situation here with uh, with Taron also. But at the moment, it's, a, it's an integrity unit thing, and of course, the presumption of innocence still still reigns over these things. We don't know exactly what these allegations are, but mm. yes, it's the NFL that's that'll be working with them. So, do you think the club was was blindsided by this? I don't think that they knew this was coming, Kane. No, um, but uh, they were only notified in in the in the recent days about it. And I think, yes, it's something that's that's really sort of come out of nowhere in the in the past few days. So, Zen, obviously, we we know that it's in the hands of the AFL. Does that mean you're under the presumption that North will not do anything until the findings come out, or at least a conversation or two happens today and tomorrow? before they can actually make a, an official statement? Or do you think they're just going to wipe their hands clean in terms of like making anything initial and wait for the AFL Integrity Unit to hand down their findings? I think they're leaving the AFL Integrity Unit to, to hand down their findings. I don't think... I don't know... I, I don't know if that means that North themselves aren't working through it. I mean, they obviously had a series of measures that they, that they put uh, Tarrant through last year with education courses and having him take time away from the club. Um, this all erupted last night, so I'm sure there was a lot of conversations going on down at Arden Street this morning and over last night about how they're going to deal with this. But at the moment, this falls solely within the AFL Integrity Unit's hands, and that meeting this morning with Taryn will be the, the, the first sort of domino, I suppose, in this case. Kill 9's Andrew Maguire is with us. He broke the story in relation to Taryn Thomas meeting with the AFL Integrity Unit today. Uh, do you know what time the meeting is, Xander, and will you be down there? I will be down there, Kane. It's going to be mid-morning uh, this morning. So, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll be down there with, I'm sure, a suite of other journalists following the story. Do you expect him to stop and talk? Not that he'll be saying much. I wouldn't expect him to, to stop and talk in this situation, uh, Kane. but you never know. Maybe maybe he, he wants to clear the air or, or clarify something around this case, but uh, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll certainly be there trying. Hey, we'll move on to some footy issues. You've been out and about throughout the pre-season. Is anyone you've got your eye on, any club that's looking sharp and that's impressed you? Um, well, to be honest, I mean, I've, I've been down at the reigning premiers, been following them pretty closely. Um, Nick Dacos has returned in unbelievable condition once again and it looks like their boys are starting to fire in their, uh, in their match simulation again. Uh, the Ds have looked pretty good too. Obviously, mm. they've got their own off-field issues that they're starting to work through as well. But very early days uh, in, in the in the January period of the preseason. But those two clubs uh, always always look like the, the, the standouts, I suppose, over the last couple of years in, in this period. And it doesn't look like there's any hunger that's been lost uh, among the Pies group, that's for sure, in particular. Just touching on Collingwood very quickly, Xander. Josh Dacos, we, is it a foot injury or, or is that a cover-up for like a calf or something? Because feet for the reigning BNF winner for a premiership year is, is a big thing because no one likes foot injuries. So have we got any clarity on what's going on there? Because it's been a week and a half since he's trained now. Do we have any timeline from Collingwood or any more information? Now, Dago spoke at, a, uh, at a, an event at the Australian Open in the past week and he said that it was a foot issue. It's an interesting point that you raised, though, Phil, because uh, in the vision that was, uh, that was obtained to training when he looked a bit sore, it did look like he was grabbing towards that lower calf, almost Achilles kind of area. But the club's still adamant that he'll he'll slowly work his way back into training and that he'll be okay. But it is, of course, a big story. The best and fairest of the, of the Premiership side uh, going down and being slightly inhibited at the start of the preseason. And just one that's actually just come to my mind as well, Kane. 
North themselves has actually had quite an interesting uh, preseason so far. They've really ramped up uh, their running capabilities mm. in this preseason. Uh, and Alistair Clarkson has put a big emphasis on mental resilience of sorts in springing things on them that they're not expecting. So the club has already had three two-kilometre time trials, and the third one was a was a surprise only five days after they had their second one. So it's interesting if if perhaps you don't have the experience and the and the out and out talent on your list, then now Clarko is trying to make up the margins as best he can with with mental resilience and just grunt work out on the track. Yeah, those those nasty surprises were never nice at all. Hey, and finally, uh, Tom Morris has has settled in nicely, Xander. The dynamic duo of yourself and Tom really ramping up the footy coverage of Channel 9. How have you found his work to start so far? Oh, I mean, Tom's, Tom's amazing. He's the, the uh, Alf Brown uh, Award winner of last year, the, the best journalist in AFL media. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's nice not, not of you to say duo. I've just very much appreciated working under him and, uh, and uh, just watching the way that he goes about it in, in the recent days and looking forward to having a, a full season of working alongside him and and watching him go about it, you've you've had a front row seat watching him work at SCN over the last year. He's a, he's a great operator and um, and uh, great company as well to have in the office. As are you, mate. Uh, we'll catch up throughout the year. Thanks, Ken. Doing a very nice job is Zan Maguire. You'll catch him on Channel 9. Broke the story last night in relation to Taron Thomas, who will face the AFL Integrity Unit about lunchtime today. And we'll wait and see. Uh, what North Melbourne have to say about that today. Xander Maguire, our guest, will be back after the news headlines. Busy day at the Australian Open, as always, as we are starting to get into the teeth of the tournament for Wilson. The Australian Open update. Get your game on and join us in celebrating the Wilson Summer of Tennis. Brett Phillips is our expert and he joins us. BP, the demon, was impressive. Yeah, fantastic, uh, Kane, no doubt. Uh, that was pretty emphatic, wasn't it? I was, you know, like most, a little wary, certainly, of his opponent because of what he'd done in the last 12 months. Um, just goes to show what, you know, two more years on the tour, you know, does for a player in terms of their development, you know, volume of matches. Uh, you know, they just develop their game. And, you know, Demon or, you know, 24 years of age, Arnaldi, who's emerging. Uh, I think, you know, John Fitzgerald made a great comment yesterday in commentary and said, I wouldn't mind buying some shares in Al Naldi for the future. You can see what he could become, but he's two years behind Demon in terms of, um, you know, being on that big stage, you know, shot selection, discipline in the rallies, um, and looking at his opportunities. Uh, you know, he was down in the first set, Al Naldi could have broken back to get to four all, and Demon makes him pay, and then he could have broken first game of the second, and, you know, got his uh, got an early break and maybe got it to a set apiece. So there's little moments that, you know, the good players uh, take away from you if you don't uh, seize that opportunity. And, yeah, I mean, that sort of scoreline, <laughs> we haven't always, um, uh, you know, afforded uh, uh, Alex mm. that. He's normally, you know, won a lot of tight matches. But, yeah, I just feel really confident about his game. I was talking to a few people post it yesterday and there's a real surety with the way he is playing. It's it's high level and it's, just, it's tough for any opponent right now. He looks uh, strong through the legs. He looks powerful. And, and even on his day off, I had some vision of him uh, turning up. He was doing sort of explosive plyometric drills, BP. Mm. He, I yep. mean, I know we know this, but he just looks like a pro. And I think to your point with the two years thing and saying that his opponent is two years behind, he, he just looks physically ready now. Yeah, absolutely. He's put in a lot of work and... 
you know, I mean, we try and think back to, um, you know, whether Leighton was quicker or uh, Demon was quicker. I mean, they were both just, you know, lightning around the court because that was, you know, a huge asset that they could use uh, to their advantage. But, you know, he certainly beefed up the serve. I mean, you know, getting through some quick service games, that's what you want. And then you build the pressure as a returner. And he's such a good returner because he, you know, he takes the ball so early and he's rushing the net and, you know, his approach shots are good. He plays the lob as good as anyone and, and from uncomfortable areas. And, you know, his ability to dig the ball out of the corners, uh, you know, these guys are, <laughs> it's pretty ferocious, the ball striking and they're, they're painting the lines and, and working each other over. So, yeah, look, the draw, you know, is sort of opening up. I mean, his next opponent, uh, Caboli, the Italian, who's come through qualifying here, and that's the first time he's been in the main draw, beat Nicholas Jerry. World number 18, who we were, when we were projecting ahead, looked like you know the third round opponent for Alex. So yeah, it certainly opens up to at least get to a fourth round, and then Rublev and Sebastian Corder are going to play, and Corder's actually building some good form. I mean, that's that's a game that could maybe go Corder's way as opposed to Rublev, who's played already a five setter in this tournament. So yeah, we're going one game at a time, but mm. forecasting ahead. Obviously, Brett. Yeah, the demons, all the headlines, but. What did you find of the three other men's performances? Yes, so obviously, you know, Thompson, Popperon and Connell all put up great shows and it's a great sign for Australian tennis. Yeah, well, the one guarantee, Phil, is our men are giving it everything. There's no doubt. And that's why we've got a big batch inside the top 100. So they can bring the level and, you know, they're all trying to get to where Demonor is, who is uh, streets ahead of them. And people would say, well, what is it? Well, you know, it's it's all the little things in a match... Um, that, you know, just determine whether you get the, the upper hand or not. So if you look at Chris O'Connell, you know, he's up against a guy serving regularly at 220, 230Ks. That, that's tough. But O'Connell, you know, had this ability to sort of stay in the match. He has this ability to hang in there. He's got a great skill set out on court. But he, in the end, was just outpowered by this guy who has been outpowering a lot of players, Ben Shelton. That's why we've been talking about him a lot. Um, Jordan Thompson, look, he took it right up to Sitsi Pass. You know, Sitsi Pass is, I think, going to build some form in this tournament. He started a little scratchy. The back looked a lot better last night, and we know where his credentials have been. But, you know, Jordan's a, you know, certainly capable of being a top 40 player. He brings such a great IQ, but just not, you know, not big enough to go with Sitsi Pass across the whole journey. And Paul Popper, and, um, yeah, I mean, he had his chance, didn't he, Chief? He had gone two sets to one. Who knows what might have happened last night. And as soon as that third set was out of his hands, um, you just knew what was going to happen from there. But, you know, look, the, the reality is they're all capable of going higher and they're all trying to push themselves to go higher. And we hope this is a bit of a, you know, a springboard to that this year. Before we let you go, Tanasi in action today? Yeah, and let's hope he can, you know, certainly, uh, you know, take that confidence from the first round. Look, Dimitrov's in good form, no doubt. He won Brisbane, he's playing really well. He's as fit as he ever has been, Grigor. He's still got the, you know, the burning desire to play competitive professional tennis against these uh, younger guys. And, you know, he brings an incredible uh, skill set to the table, Dimitrov. But, yeah, Thanasi's going to have to uh, roll the sleeves up and we'll, we'll see what he brings. Got to start well. Get out of the box early. And Max Purcell's up early. He's a good chance. And, yeah, hopefully a couple of Aussies through. Our coverage on SENBP will host that with Mark Wood for the Woodies Live in the Rod Lather bunker from seven tonight looking forward to it bp we'll chat soon thanks boys cheers uh and the SEM website has just released uh, some exciting news in relation to the 20th anniversary uh phil 
listeners will be in for a treat as some of the biggest names over the 20-year history will join in. So Finey's going to be there. Uh, everyone loved Finey's final siren, so he's going to join in the festivities. Anthony Hudson is going to be there. Mark Allen and David Schwartz and Derm also going to be there tomorrow. So if you want to head along, let us know, and you can. 20 years celebrating that at the Sporting Globe. Um, on the other side of this, we've got some more ripping guests coming up. A break, and when we come back, another break. Breakfast on SEN. Pretty entertaining day one of the Adelaide Test. Australia trailed the West Indies by 129 runs with eight wickets remaining after winning the toss and electing to field, which may have been a surprise. Taking us through all of it is our next guest, Simon Kadich, our SEN cricket expert, uh, Kat, very good morning to you. Were you surprised Pat Cummins chose to bowl? Good morning, guys. Uh, no, I wasn't purely because Pat Cummins is prepared to do things differently now as Aussie skipper. And, you know, the fact that he has the skill and class to be able to go out there and execute, you know, what he thinks is the right option, he backs it up with his bowling. And, and he certainly did that yesterday. You know, the West Indies openers got off to a pretty solid start. And then when Pat Cummins came on, he got the initial couple of breakthroughs and then. He was backed up later on by Josh Hazelwood. So barring that last week at partnership of 55 between Roach and Shamar Joseph on debut, um, you know, Pat Cummins would have been very happy with the way things played out. Kat, obviously, as you said there, the first hour will be in the battle lot. What, what changed? What, what did Pat do differently that really broke the game open? Well, I think what, what early happened early on was that the wicket was quite slow because it was a 10 o'clock start. There was a little bit of dew around early and a little bit of moisture, and it just looked quite slow, a little bit too paced at times. Some balls flew through to Alex Carey. Others sort of died through to him. So I think once that initial half an hour wore off and the sun came out and the wicket probably just hardened up a fraction, it just looked like it became uh, more challenging, particularly once Pat Cummins came to the bowling crease. And, and we know how good he's been all summer uh, and for a long period of time now. And he just keeps threatening around the top of off stump. So... The West Indies, particularly their two openers, their, their footwork got found out. Um, Chanderpaul flashing at a wide one and got caught in the gully, which was you know, a magnificent return by Cameron Green there. Not many, I don't think anyone else in the team would have got a hand on it. So that was a good start for him. And then Pat Cummins found Craig Brathwaite's off stump. So you know, the skipper keeps leading from the front. And then he was really well supported by Josh Hazelwood, who you know, carried on his fine performance from the second innings at the SCG, where he took that... Triple wicket made, and then he backed it up again yesterday with four wickets. So I just think they, they keep hunting as a pack, this, this unit of bowlers, and it's the best in the world. So unfortunately, from a West Indies perspective, you know, they got an inexperienced middle order, and, and apart from Kirk McKenzie with his 50, um, they found it tough. Because, Kat, obviously notorious, or not notorious, it's very famous in Adelaide that you get to the second day, two, day three, and it's very easy to bat. And probably the ball did more yesterday than a normal Adelaide Oval pitch. Are you expecting good conditions for our batsmen today to bat? Will it really dry and flatten out? Yeah, look, it's interesting this morning. I'm still early here, obviously, but um, it's really cloudy. There's been some overnight rain. so And I see the forecast is only sort of 21, 22 degrees. So it's another cool day. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether that cloud sort of burns off later in the day. But I think it's hard to compare the old Adelaide over wicket to what it is now with this drop-in because... It is so different. It used to be probably the best batting wicket in Australia. I think now it's it's a lot fairer for everyone. And because there's eight mils of grass on this drop-in, 
it, it feels like it's a new ball wicket. And then once you get through to the sort of the 40 over mark, it becomes better for batting. So that's how it seemed to play out yesterday. Apparently that's how it plays out in the Shield games. So I think it's, it's hard to compare how it used to be. I know when I played on it, because it used to be a bat first wicket, you'd, you'd make four to 500 because it was so good to bat on. And then you, you hope that it deteriorates, it spins and, and starts to play low. But it's not like that now. It's got a lot more bounce in it and, and it sort of seems to favour, you know, all you know fast bowling, spinners do well and, and the batsmen find it probably a bit harder against the new ball. Can you talk to me about the, the mindset of Steve Smith? I was listening to your coverage early uh, yesterday and he was already been in the nets, the media coverage. He was speaking to the, the host broadcaster, I think Channel 7, prior to the day's play. Uh, he gets a bat and it doesn't last as long, and now he's got to sit there all day and watch his teammates bat. How difficult is the mental aspect of that? Oh, it's huge because and he knows the decision that's been made is, is a massive one. It's a big change in his sort of career and where it's at. And I you know, applaud him for taking the challenge on because... You know, there'd be plenty of players in the past that would be happy just to stay at number four or five and and sort of you know face the older ball, but he's taking it on, you know, what for what the team thinks is the best thing and having the best six batsmen playing at this point in time. I thought he looked pretty sharp and played some beautiful pull shots early on, and I think basically he probably just got a little bit surprised by the young kid Shamar Joseph on debut. He just shuffled across the crease, didn't really get a stride into the ball, and and sparred at one that he probably could have left. You know, had he faced him previously, you know, he might have left that ball and, and just got on with business. But I actually thought he looked pretty good. But um, young Joseph was, was impressive. He got one, you know, on the money pretty much first ball. And it was a brilliant catch by Graves mm. at, at, uh, in slip. So, yeah, we didn't go to plan for Smithy yesterday. But, um, yeah, that's part of opening the batting, unfortunately. Yeah, sometimes you get a ball that's just too good for you and you just nick away. You, Cat, started your career batting at six for Australia then you went to, to open and had great success there. Was there a specific thing that you changed in your technique when you went from batting six? I know it's situational at six. And, you know, and same with Smith. He could be in there for two for 10 or two for 100. The game looks very different. Was there anything from your recollection when you made that big move to change your game? Yeah, I felt like I had to be a lot tighter with my hands. And I had a real focus that, particularly in the first probably half an hour of play, where you expect a little bit of movement, you know, first morning of a test. I felt like I had to probably tighten that aspect of my game up and, and really focused on keeping him as tight to my body as possible and, and sort of playing as straight as possible early in that, that period. It doesn't mean that if you see a ball that's short and wide that you don't cut it for four, but it's that focus of just being as tight as possible early, getting used to the pace and bounce of a wicket, whether there's any movement. And once you suss that out in the first 20 minutes or half an hour, you can then expand from there. And I think... That's what it looked like with Steve Smith yesterday. I think he was looking like he wanted to be busy at the crease and show good intent. And, and the field's obviously up with, with, you know, slips and gullies and stuff like that. So, you know, he got through that initial part. He just didn't get through that next phase where you try and kick on and, and really put some pressure on the bowlers. And, um, but that, that was probably, you know, how I went about it. And in regards to today, mate, how do you see it unfolding? Obviously, they, you know, they, they did enough with the new ball yesterday. They were moving around. They made it hard for us to score. What, what happens today? Well, I think, you know, they'd taken their chances. I obviously dropped Kawaja early on, and, and De Silva should have taken that. It was a pretty regulation nick uh, that he put down early on off uh, Alzari Joseph. But, you know, Australia probably should have been three down at stump. So it's, it's a big innings, obviously, for Cameron Green to try and, you know, cement himself in that top four position. And then 
Um, I think Kawhi just been brilliant for a long period of time now, and I think he'll just look to, to try and bat, you know, throughout the day and as long as possible. But I think what we saw from the West Indies yesterday was a fair bit of spirit, and it was led by this youngster on debut, Shamar Joseph. He's got a bit about him. If he gets a bit of support today from Alzari Joseph and, and Kamar Roach and the spinner Moti, then I think they'll they'll try and stifle the Australian attack, particularly as a batting lineup, particularly early on, because um, this ball's still relatively new. So they have a crack early, but I think as the day unfolds, it should be a pretty good track to battle. Good on you, mate. We'll listen to you on the radio. We'll watch you on the TV today and appreciate your time this morning. My pleasure, guys. As I said, the Aussies trail the West Indies by 129 runs at the start of day two with eight wickets uh, in hand. Kawaja was dropped, as Simon Kadic said, early in his innings. He's not out 30. Cameron Green was scratching around. He's six not out. <laughs> Was he scratching around? I did like your use of an adjective there just to get your point across. I like, you were unhappy that cat went straight with the good. Hey, cat, he's 6'6". Six, six. No one else is 6'6". Six, six in no, a gully, it. mate. It was a, it was a sharp catch. Um, <laughs> but he played and missed about six times. So uh, I thought he was a little bit scratchy. But he probably goes on and makes a 100 today. I, ho- I hope that he does. SEM Breakfast, Phil Davis is alongside of me. We still have a huge last hour coming up. Paul Marsh and Tony Clark going to join us Live in the studio, if you want to have your say, you can as well. one 736 That was our McCafe coffee catch-up. Barista made ice cold. drive through for your ice coffee favourites at McCafe. Back after this. Breakfast on SEN. In the last hour, Paul Marsh from the AFL Players Association is going to join us, and he's going to be joined by Tony Clark, who's the Major League Baseball Players Association Executive Director. He's a former player. He played for 16 years. He was a switch hitter. He was an all-star and one of the most powerful people, as far as I can read, in, in world sport. So he's in the country and he's in the studio. Phil, you know a little bit about him. Yeah, I don't just, I'm eyeballing him at the moment, and he's a big man. He is a big man. He, <laughs> he made me feel a little bit small when I just said hello then. But no, he obviously very, you know, people have great careers. He's had two great careers already. He's flying. What he does with the association, he's sort of like the beacon on how you should run an association. Obviously, leads the World Athlete Association. So, very impressive man. So, looking forward to talking to him. Seen some of the numbers, the uh, major league baseball clubs chuck around to their players. Did you see the deal the other day? A fella signed 10 years. I think it was for the Dodd. Yeah, he said yeah. 10 years, but he's getting $2 million a year during his career. And then he's delayed the rest, which is whatever, some stupid amount, amount of hundreds of millions of dollars, until he retires. Now, yeah. that's a good annuity scheme. He, that's that's a... <laughs> nicely done and allows his team to spend other money now so that uh, they can be successful and win. Just on that, that some of the owners in the Major League Baseball have been pushing for a salary cap. They don't have a salary cap like we do. Uh, Tony said, we are never going to agree to a cap. Not in four years when the CBA expires. Not ever. So I like... He's strong. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I like the strength. You're right, it's a good word. Uh, He's going to join us next. He's live in the studio. Looking forward to that catch-up when we return after the news headlines. Breakfast on SEN. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're really 
fortunate to have a couple of special guests live in the studio. One we know really well, that is Paul Marsh, the CEO of the AFL Players Association. Paul, thank you to you for stopping by. G'day, Cornsey and Phil. How are you? And you are joined by a very impressive man by the name of Tony Clark. He's the MLB Players Association Executive Director in the country as part of the Australian Athletes Alliance and World Players Association Conferences on Women's Sport, um, which sees the broader Players Association movement, which has spread rapidly around the globe, especially in the last 15 to 20 years. Tony, welcome and thank you for your time. Good day. Good morning, gentlemen. Just been doing a little bit of, of reading about yourself, Tony. Couldn't couldn't be more impressed. No, take, don't believe take, all, don't take, believe everything you read. Don't well, believe take, everything. Give, give us an insight into into you. you. You played professional major league baseball for sixteen years, largely with the Detroit Lions, but you went all over the place in the end. And give us a bit of your backstory. Uh, yeah, actually, I was a a basketball player uh, that uh, thought that that was the route I was going to go. Uh, my first sport was tennis. So I started out as a youngster thinking that was actually the way I was going to go. Baseball was something that I picked up a little bit later. I uh, was fortunate enough uh, to play college basketball, but at the same time get drafted for baseball out of high school. Uh, so I would go go to school in the fall, play collegiate basketball all the way through the, the spring semester, and then during the summer play minor league baseball. Series of injuries, ended up playing and trying baseball full-time. A year and a half later, I was in the big leagues. And so it's, it's less of a, a straight line and direct route, but, but very grateful for the opportunities and experiences that I've had. And came on board uh, the PA after uh, the Players Association after – I retired in 09 the, the following year alongside my predecessor and uh, Michael Weiner, God rest his soul. We, we lost him uh, three years after I came on board and uh, the players determined uh, that my role should change and I should succeed him. And uh, through the ups and downs over the course of the last 11, 12 years have, uh, have been the executive director for the PA. So Tony, what brings you to Australia? Tell us a bit about, we, we understand why you're here, but let the audience know what brought you out to Australia? Uh, each year we, we get together as a part of the World Players Association and, uh, and work through a, a number of, of issues that are front and center for uh, all of the affiliates, uh, as was highlighted in the intro, uh, a, a, literally a global conglomerate of sports unions coming together uh, and working alongside one another to continue to, to, to forward the, the well-being and, and, uh, and rights of our, our respective players and the movement in general. And so that combined uh, with the AAA uh, conference, an opportunity to, to, to finally make the trip uh, uh, back to Australia, but first time in Melbourne, uh, where again over the course of this week we've had an opportunity to sit in a room and go through any number of things uh, that will invariably be beneficial for us to, to imply or impart uh, individually uh, and, and create the, or continue the movement that we're, we're, we're all committed to more globally. So, Paul, obviously from an from a, uh, AFL Players Association point, what, what kind of topics do you pick the mind of Tony on and try to get some insights? Because in, oh, he gets seized, like you, on being a director of the World Players Association and on the Australian Alliance of Associations. What insights are you trying to get out of Tony when you've got him here? This is a great resource for us to have in the country and from a players association point of view. What kind of things are you trying to get out of him? Yeah, I mean, I've been really fortunate to um, have had exposure to Tony and, and, and the rest of the team um, over a number of years. But it's always good to see what's changing, um, what they're working on. I think they're always probably a little bit ahead of what we're seeing in, in this country. So, you know, we've spent a lot of time this week talking particularly about female sport, um, but also, you know, where the commercial landscape is going in um, in America and how that might apply to us. Um, 
the core topics around collective bargaining and organising, that's always part of our discussion, play development and wellbeing. It's, it's really about seeing what is changing, where are the opportunities to better collaborate. And I think this week has been the highlight for, for me particularly has been around, okay, well, how can we work more closely together um, with our brothers and sisters around the world to actually do a better job for our players here, but, but everywhere. So it's been a great week so far. What, what specific areas are they ahead in, Paul? Oh, I mean, I think, um, you know, you look at the Major League Baseball collective bargaining agreement as an example. Um, I think they're the gold standard in, in many respects, and Tony can probably talk to a bit of that. Um, you know, I think they've been going for longer. They've pioneered this space. Um, the commercial part of their business is, is well ahead of where we're at, and we've been picking their brains this week around, you know, how we may learn and, and work with them. So there's some there's certainly some areas there. Um, you know, we, there's... We, all of our spaces are very issue rich and it's always good to compare notes around how we might deal with different things that, we, that we're all working through. So there's lots there to, to learn from these guys, uh, Cornsy. Because Tony, the, your game hasn't been without its challenges. Is, is it still appealing to, to younger people? Is it, is it still as entertaining as it was? What, what's the role of the home run? There's been significant rule changes bigger bases, the, the pitch shot clock, which has been a success as far as I've read. You've restricted where some of the fieldsmen can stand. What sort of shape is the game in and what challenges have you faced? Well, I, I think we're pointed in the right direction. Uh, you are 100% correct to suggest that it, uh, it hasn't been devoid of its challenges. Uh, our game uh, is one that uh, likely shifted too far in the direction uh, that was uh, not conducive to, to young people taking the time to sit through it or understand it. Um, and so uh, the adjustments that have been made over the years, uh, most tangibly over the last uh, year or so, uh, have seemingly been beneficial. Uh, teams are adjusting. Players did a fantastic job uh, of adjusting. Um, but we didn't get to where we were overnight. Uh, and despite some of the, the conversations that have been had over the last decade plus, uh, it was taking a little while to, to turn the Titanic. But I, I think we're in a in a better place now, at least from the standpoint of some of the adjustments that have been made. But as I mentioned, the, the most tangible ones, and you highlighted a few of them, have literally been in the last year. And so uh, we're, we're, we're taking a little bit of a, a wait and see, adjust accordingly. But much of, of, of the next conversation, I think, is going to be how to engage the next generation on the ground floor, not just at the, the major league level, but how to engage the next generation of prospective fans and ball players. Uh, and meet them where they are such that the system they come through and the interest that they have in understanding the game and the work that needs to be done uh, uh, on the field as well as off it is something that's more tangible to them in front and centre. Paul often talks, Tony, we speak about being in collaboration and working with AF, the AFL, the home body. Listening to you speak there, how important is the role that, you know, obviously when we talk about negotiations, it's players versus HQ. But yet, when you talk about those kind of things, how important is it to be aligned? And that's the thing that we really should be pushing forward to is that we listen to HQ as players, but the HQ listen to players and we can build the game together. How important is that, what you've seen, not only in MLB, but world sport across the whole globe? I think in an ideal scenario, you've got everyone sitting at the table and pointing the same direction. Uh, oftentimes, the, the well-being of the game takes a backseat to the business of the game. And as you know, as, as players, uh, we are, are intend to be stewards of the game. We protect it. Uh, even if we make some decisions that aren't always ideal, uh, the game is something that we've committed our lives to from the time that we were knee-high to a table, and we want to protect it. 
um, the business of the game doesn't always align with uh, protecting the game itself. And so uh, ideally, you do find yourself in a room and, and, and share uh, sharing of ideas that, that can move things in the right direction. But uh, unfortunately, uh, there are often times still where uh, you're not pointed the same direction and you don't have the same interests at hand. And, and there are some fundamental misses. And so uh, uh, those misses manifest themselves oftentimes at the bargaining table. Those misses manifest themselves as a part of, of PR and media. But uh, I will never apologize for protecting the integrity of the game and protecting the well-being and advancing the rights of the players. And to the extent that, that there's a working party on the other side that's interested in the same thing or something similar, we'll get there. Tony Clark is the MLB Players Association Executive Director, joined live in the studio by the AFL Players Association CEO, Paul Marsh. Uh, Tony, you've been really strong in pushing back on some of the owners that want to introduce a salary cap. Now, it's it's unique for us because I think some of your teams, their payroll is in the 300s of millions, where other teams can spend a fraction of that. Um, How is the debate around whether or not to have a salary cap because you think those wages that the players earn should be celebrated, I guess, not and not punished. Yeah, for, for us, and, and I recognize and respect wholeheartedly that the, the games themselves are a little different. Um, how the clubs are positioned may be a little different. For, for us, a, a salary cap is the ultimate restriction on uh, player salaries. And so the challenge that we often run into uh, is the public perception versus the reality. And what I mean by that is, as a result of collusion uh, in our industry going back to the late 80s uh, and uh, the subsequent result of, of that uh, award coming out of those collusion uh, uh, grievances, uh, meaning that the league was found to have literally colluded to, to push down player salaries, we gained access to information, confidential information, audited information, uh, in regards to the clubs. And so we're aware of um, the actual information associated with the well-being of any one particular club. Uh, that means that uh, with that information, um, although it's confidential, uh, the positions that we otherwise take um, are ones that uh, are supportive of that information. And, and I say it that way because we can't offer publicly the information that we have in regards to how teams are situated. So a team can come out and say it's not capable of X, Y, Z. We know that not to be true. Uh, and so uh, I'm not suggesting that there isn't a difference between the market in, in, in the United States in New York versus a market in in somewhere else. Uh, I'm not saying that's not the case. What I am saying is there are different ways to balance the difference. And so as a part of the revenue sharing plan that we do have, the dollars that are otherwise uh, moved based on market size and based on local revenue to other teams, uh, there is a bit more of a balancing act there and in place uh, that we don't think requires a salary cap. Uh, we also want to put teams in a position uh, to reward them for performing well. Uh, sometimes that performing well can be in the form of, of revenue, additional revenue that they can have access to as a result of performing well. Uh, oftentimes it can be having access to the next generation of talent um, such that you get additional draft picks or you're, you're positioned in a way where uh, as a result of that performance you're, you're getting additional revenue 
and draft picks uh, in the in an upcoming draft to fill your your system such that you can develop them accordingly. And so there are different levers within our our economic system that we believe help to balance. Uh, uh, things a little bit more than the perception of if Team A is spending $100 and Team B is mm. spending $100, there's competitive balance and, and, and competitive integrity there. We're trying to maintain the competitive integrity, and our game itself has had so many different winners uh, and playoff teams over the course of the last two decades that truly it's it's there are more winners and more different winners in our sport than in any other cap sports. Uh, so mm. it's it's an interesting dynamic, but our... Our system is a little bit different, and we just don't believe that a cap is necessary. So, Paul, how, how do you respond to that? We all understand the ownership structure is, is completely different, but one of the things Tony said was a salary cap is the ultimate restriction on player value and player salary. Yeah, I mean, it is. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And you know, our system is well entrenched and has been for, you know, for decades. Um, it's not a, a unique system in world sport, but there's no doubt that it you know, we're in a position where I don't necessarily think our system encourages innovation. Um, mm. the, the capping of the, the salaries is, um, is something that you know, the clubs know. Um, the capping of the, what the clubs can spend on non-player wages through the soft cap, you know, it, it, I think it does actually restrain the innovation in the industry. And I think it's something that our industry should continue to talk about. Um, you know, there are always priorities when you're bargaining and we've had some priorities and one of them has been to make sure that if we have got a cap system, then the players are getting a share of the revenue and that's been a, a, obviously a, a win for us over the last you know, seven or eight years uh, and continuing to make sure that, that the players are getting a fair share of what they're generating for the industry. That doesn't mean that this is the system that's in place forever though. All right, you guys are going to stick around, which we appreciate. So joining us live in the studio, Paul Marsh and Tony Clark, I guess. Breakfast on SEN. Paul Marsh is with us live in the studio, joined by Tony Clark, who's the MLB Players Association Executive Director. So many questions. Um, We're not going to get through them all and appreciate those sending them through off the temper text. But just quickly, Tony, tell us about the Otani uh, Otani deal. Like with this 700 million US deal where he's going to be paid 3 million a year for for 10 years and then the rest later. What's the reaction to that been? And can you give us an insight? It is a a unique contract structure. Uh, And interestingly enough, every time we sit down to collective bargain, uh, the 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 league uh, more so I think than the teams uh, attempts to restrict the flexibility teams have and and players and their individual representation have to construct a contract in the way that you saw with Otani uh, and so uh, with that one he's obviously a very unique uh, player uh, he is one that has uh, a very tangible. Uh, he has very tangible leverage in the in the conversation when he engages teams. He has his own interests individually as as well, uh, and so the the construct of of his contract is unique. And one of the positions that that we will always take uh, in regards to player contracts is one: give the the clubs as many tools and the players as many tools as possible to to, to construct that contract, but also not be in a, a position where we're we're telling clubs what to pay. Uh, uh, an individual player or, or uh, a group of players. And so, um, it, again, it, it's it's a historic contract. I don't know that too many others, because he, he is a bit of a unicorn, are going to be able to follow it. But uh, he determined that, that pushing out $680 million to, to, to uh, uh, some of his later years 
uh, was important to him. Um, and so uh, uh, that combined with, with what he is undoubtedly earning off the field, uh, separate from his contract, I have a feeling even if he's, he's making uh, a couple of million dollars a year, he'll, mm. he'll be okay. <laughs> you, you alluded to the information that you, that you have on clubs, mm. but I understand the wealth of the owners and, and all of that. But when you're paying one player that amount of money, you've still got the rest of your roster to fill. I mm. mean, is it profitable for clubs? Are they, are they all successful? Are they all making money? Yes, they are doing quite well. Uh, <laughs> and uh, even some of the, the lowest payroll teams uh, find themselves um, doing extraordinarily well. Uh, on paper or otherwise. Uh, and so that combined with what being one of, in our industry, there's 30 teams, being one of 30 teams, and we were talking about this during the break, uh, means that just by living and breathing, uh, those clubs and the value of those clubs are increasing uh, uh, exponentially each year. And so mm. whether it's the franchise values themselves, and as everybody knows from a business context, you have an opportunity against the backdrop of that valuation to, to, uh, to take on debt if you decide to and, and build up other forms and, and avenues of, of revenue generation, which our clubs are doing, uh, and or if there's a, a, a desire to put butts in the seats and, and perform admirably on the field, another avenue by which to, to generate revenue and all of those things. Uh, are a part of our system at the moment. Moving towards more of a players association topic, obviously you've come out, we've spoken about women's sport, Paul. What's been some of the biggest takeaways you've had over your discussions now about where we can get with growing female sport? Obviously the CBA was a step in the right direction, a lot of growth still to go. What kind of things were discussed? Oh, there's been heaps. Um, maybe the theme, if I start with that, has been you know, women's, the, the, the governing bodies running the sports need to invest for growth rather than wait for it to grow before you invest. And I think that's been a problem in, in our country across a number of our sports, um, a real belief in, in what's there. We've talked a lot about the athlete welfare as well. And I think, you know, a lot of our female athletes are juggling dual careers and that's really challenging. So we've got a good sense of that, but also talked about some of the success stories, you know, we've case studies on the Matildas, for example. So it's been, uh, it's been a good week with a real spotlight on, on what's happening around women's sport and how we keep pushing it forward. Where are we at with a mid-season trade? Uh, well, as you know, we agreed to that in the CBA, so it's really sitting with the, the AFL. Our players are, are up for it. Uh, I'd, my sense is that the AFL won't bring it in this year, maybe next. Uh, mm. There's a lot to work through. So we've agreed to the concept of it. We haven't agreed to the detail of how that might work. So I'd be surprised if it comes in this season, but, um, yeah, shouldn't be too far away. Uh, what did you make of the, the, the latest allegations against Taryn Thomas, Paul, and what's your role in that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to talk too much about it. I think we all need to let the process play out. So there will be an integrity um, interview at some point. Um, and, you know, we'll, we will go from there. I think everyone needs to just um, take a step back on this and, and let it play out because, as always, there's two sides to every story. So, um, you know, we'll be supporting in the background like we do with all of our members. Is it different when there's such a long history, though? Well, I think... We've dealt with the history and we are where we are and I think we now need to work through um, this set of allegations and as I said, there's two sides to every story. Mm. All right, a couple more tricky ones coming your way. You've been good enough to hang around until after the news headlines, so more with Paul and Tony after this. Tony Clark is with us live in the studio, the MLB Players Association Executive Director. More with Tony shortly. Just a couple of... 
other ones for, for, for you, Paul. I get really annoyed about the You get annoyed about a lot of things. Kevin. I do. I do. I don't want to always be the bad guy, but I get really annoyed that there is a perception from the average footy supporter or public that our players all engage in illicit drugs. And I know that's a sweeping statement, but that there is a perception that whatever percentage it is, but it's a high one, that there's a serious issue. Does it bother you as much as it bothers me? And I know we've spoken about this before, but can more be done? Well, to your first question, I mean, look, this is just a reality of a high-profile sport and a high-profile group of athletes. People are going to speculate about what's going on. We know illicit drugs is, a, is an issue in our society. Our athletes are a subset of that. So, you know, we know that there's there's some issues. We do a lot around this. Um, we're reviewing our illicit drugs policy with the AFL right now, and I'd expect that we'll have um, a revised policy in place by the end of this year. So we, we keep, you know, continue to try to make it better. Um, mm. But we'll continue to focus on it being a well-being model for our players. And I think our, our players, despite some of the, you know, the headlines and all the rest of it, um, I think are a really solid set of citizens, both groups. And um, you know, they do so much right. And we always focus on the few small things that go, that go wrong. But we, when you take a step back, we don't have that many issues on an annual basis in any of these areas that we talk about. There's always a few... Mm. Um, but you know, I think at times we can overreact and then start to, you know, make you know wild assumptions about where the whole playing group's at. No, I agree with that. But how damaging is a is a situation like Joel Smith, where a player could think to allegedly or or rightly engage in in that a couple of days out or a day out from a game, and and what is the latest there with him? I mean, obviously that's going through a process with, with Sports Integrity Australia at the moment. So I'm not going to get into you know where it's at. That will play out. Um, there's a grey area across two codes here. Um, mm. Illicit drugs policy is very much a, a well-being model, but um, if a player tests positive uh, that shows up on game day, obviously the wider code comes in. So I think you know the concern for us is with Joel and his well-being, and obviously we're throwing our support around him, and and we would with any player that might be in that situation. To piggyback that, Tony. We, we subscribe our players in the AFL to an illicit drug policy as well as the WADA code. In America, WADA code isn't applied to players. What's the decision-making and thought process around that? For, for us, it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was the, the value inherent in collective bargaining. And so for us, being able to sit down at the collective bargaining table uh, with the league and, and our experts, particularly in this particular area, our experts and the league's experts, uh, and, and collectively bargain over a, a, a policy, uh, whether it is a, a drug policy or whether it is a, 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 um, a treatment policy or whether it is a, meaning a performance enhancement or a treatment policy or whether it is uh, as a part of, of uh, domestic violence, all of those things to be able to sit down in the room and, and, and again, with our experts in tow, uh, negotiate over a, a program uh, that we believe is, is um, one of the best out there uh, is the value of collective bargaining in and of itself. And so uh, there are certain fundamentals uh, attached to that that are likely fundamental across any drug testing program. Uh, but in sitting down in a, in a, a, a way that uh, you're able to 
to not just negotiate uh, the the baseline and each of the the, uh, the things associated with it, but do so as as Marcy just mentioned annually, being able to a, a little bit different than and separate from the collective bargaining agreement that may be over four, five, six years, however many years, being able to negotiate the terms and conditions of a drug program that oftentimes has new drugs becoming evident and perhaps new testing uh, that can be more powerful and, and better situated, being able to adjust and adapt uh, accordingly is beneficial. Both of you have been so generous with your time. We appreciate you stopping by. We'll let you go. Fascinating stuff. Tony, to you, uh, welcome. I hope you enjoy your stay, and thanks for your insights this morning. And, Paul, as always, we'll catch up throughout the year, but we appreciate you stopping by. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Paul Marsh, the AFL Players Association CEO, and Tony Clark is the MLB Players Association Executive Director joining us live in the studio. If you've got a thought on any of that, let us know. one 736 736 Breakfast on Oh, Bringing in the big guns this morning. Out goes Tony Clark, one of the most powerful people in sport. In comes our next guest who has been good enough to answer our phone after standing us up yesterday. He is the better looking corns. His name is Graham. Dad, thanks for your time. <laughs> better looking corns. I'm not <laughs> sure about that. <laughs> Where were you yesterday? You stood at, you st- Phil, I was excited. Uh, I told Phil, I said, you got a good story for us, and you didn't answer. Yeah, I know. I, I took the dogs for a walk and left my phone home, so and then completely forgot about it. <laughs> um, maybe, it's, oh, maybe it's a sign of advancing age. I don't know. No, but, I don't think so. I think you've, you've but I've pretty... had, but I haven't, it hasn't left my side this morning. <laughs> I had texts coming through. Is he all right? Is something, something happened? But... Um, anyway, we're, we're discussing Tony Modra the other day because I, yeah, I saw him at the okay. gym and I said to to Sammy, who I was working with, there's some people that I still get starstruck by and he is one of them. And you coached him at the height of his fame and I wanted to get you on to discuss that. What what was it like managing the circus that was around Tony Modra in the early 90s? Well, he was really good. I mean, he, he um, there's a lot of... You know, uh, myth about him maybe because he was such a big deal people thought maybe he was a little bit big-headed but he was he wasn't just a he was a really good guy um he wasn't he wasn't a a footballer who you know studied the game and and was ambitious from an early age like uh kids who go through uh, special squads and like he's just a natural footballer so he, he didn't he didn't always apply himself with the same discipline more energy as some of the other guys because he it all came so easily to him. But I loved coaching him. He was he was he was a great lad, a good personality, very very charismatic as you can see. But without trying to be, it was a natural charisma. There was nothing forced about him. But um, he was really big. There was no doubt about it. I, I didn't. Well, I didn't actually say it. I was about to say it here in Adelaide at the time in that 1993. He was bigger than Bradman. Now that's the biggest sporting name we've had in this country, but he, for that, for those, for that year here in Adelaide, he was bigger than Bradman. No uh, and you stand that. by that? I, well, for, for that year, bear in mind, Donald Bradman was about eighty. I buy. Oh, I said, yeah. But, so not not at the height of Bradman, but at the same time. No, no. At that time, it, there was no bigger sporting star in Adelaide than Tony Modra. And it sort of reached across to Victoria, though. But they were, they were, they were a little bit um, bemused by it, all the Victorians. But um, 
Oh, he was just a spectacular player. Yeah, but and, but it, didn't, good, it didn't come without his you. challenges, yeah. though, did it? Like, he, he, yeah. he had some motivation issues. Yeah, tell us about the time he nearly quit. Well, that was, you know, when you look back on it, it's quite funny. Because at the end of 1993, he was so big. He didn't really have a manager. And Bruce Lindner, you know, the Prez, played for Geelong, mm. Pros, West Adelaide, you know, larger-than-life figure, confident. He said, like, I'll, I'll take on the management role of Tony Modra. Now, fair enough. Okay, so there, it was before our first game, the week before our first game against Carlton in 1994, and Bruce Linder took him to lunch to discuss, to discuss this impending manager's role that he was going to have, and lunch became, you know, one drink after the other, and, uh, and Mods missed training. It was Wednesday, it was a training night, so he missed training, and we hadn't heard from him. So we couldn't contact him the next day. So Bill Sanders, the general manager, and I said, well, we knew where he lived, on the beach down at Tennyson. So we rocked around, knocked on the door, no answer. And then we went around the front, knocked on the window, and there he was. He dragged, he was, he was watching TV. So finally he let us in. And he was a bit, oh, you know, he was a bit sheepish that he was training and, we, you know, had an extended lunch. And he, and he, he, was, he said, look, I'm completely over it. I'm quitting. I do not want to play this game anymore. I don't need to go through this. It just the the pressure had really got to him. I said, "Look, don't quit yet." <laughs> say, just come to training. Just come to train. Have a have a massage. Speak to the doctor. Uh, the next night it was a Friday night, which our last training session. Like just just have a, an easy run um, and see how you feel. So we got him up to play. He, he definitely was going to quit, but he came to training, did the light run on a wet Friday night. We played Carlton. He stood Steve or Stephen Silvani stood him, fullback of the century, and he kicked thirteen goals. Now, <laughs> if that's if that's an ideal preparation, <laughs> but and then he. Um, we never quite reached the heights of 1993, but uh, and then when Blighty came, I don't know, he did his knee, unfortunately, in the, in the prelim final of the premiership year. And then uh, after that disastrous first finals game in, 1980, in 1996, um, well, he dropped him and, he, and then they transferred him out to Fremantle. But he had a good, he was good at Fremantle. But he's. Mm. He's an ambassador of the club. Everybody loves him. He's still got that great smile and that great manner about him. One of my favourite all-time players without any shadow of a doubt. Yeah. It's funny, Graham, obviously, like, being around the Crows for the early part of my career, he always had that, didn't he? I remember seeing one day I was at the Alma and there was this, like, pack of, like, 20 people around one person in the corner of the pub. It was just Tony Modra just standing there. And it was about everyone from the age of probably – Oh, this is 2010-ish, from 15 to 65. It was the most eclectic group of people, but everyone just adored him. A bit like your char- charisma. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Oh, I think I've got about no, as much know, as right. his toe. And, and still today, I mean, he's, he's naturally shy. He, I mean, um, it's amazing that he, he does uh, corporate work for the, for the Crows. He's an ambassador for the Crows, but he's still... Still incredibly shy. So mm. the strange thing is, when I was a kid, we lived in Ronello, We had a, a school bus. Had to take us to school because our school was quite a distance away. His dad, um, Doug, was one of the bus drivers. He was a very good player football. Played on the wing for Port Nalunga, which is Ryan Fitzgerald's old team. But um, so there's a connection that goes way back. But 
Oh, well, you get the impression and know how much I really admire him and how, yeah. how much of a favourite he was. So he's going he's to quit on the Thursday morning. He comes out on the Sunday yeah. and kicks 13 on sauce. It's, it's, an, it's amazing what he could do. Um, <laughs> was Do you have a favourite one of his of his marks? I mean, if you just go and look at his, his YouTube, it's Absolutely. amazing. Which was your favourite? Well, there were 1993. We sort of worked out we could make the finals, but we had to win most of our home games. It came down to the last uh, home game against Collingwood at Footy Park. It was the final six in those days. And it was our yeah, third year, and we just we were just we just had to make the finals. It was there was no no other option. So it was always going to come down to that game. We're about four or five goals down at um, halfway through the second quarter. Ball was kicked to the southern end, and he takes this enormous mark over Gary Pert, I think it was, um, and then goes back and kicks the goal, and then bang, 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 bang. And, just set us on. I mean, there's so many. I mean, everyone says the mark against North Melbourne at Footy Park at the Southern End, but that mark in that um, last game of the year in 1993 was. Then we went on and, and we won our first game, final against um, against Hawthorne <laughs> before the disaster a couple of weeks later mm. against uh, Essendon. Mm. But the, 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 there's lots of them. He, he, he makes a good highlight reel. With then there's some other guys too make good, <clears throat> excuse me, good highlight reels. But his would be great. His is great. Yeah. yeah. And b- before we let you go, who's well, he's won like in terms of fame of a footballer yeah. to play in this day. His bets too. Like did did bets come close to the Modra hype at the, at the peak of of his powers? Yeah. Nobody ever came close, but okay. Eddie Betts was the next. But in terms, of, I just talked about highlight reels. Eddie Eddie Betts is up. Modra's up there. Eddie Betts is up there. Yeah. Brett Burden's up there. Then you go back historically, guys like uh, Peter Knights, Warwick Happer, Jeremy Howe, one of the current day players. I mean, but I think of the two Crows players. If you're talking highlight reels and popularity. Mm. Mods, mods, head and shoulders above everyone else, but Eddie Betts is, is up there. All right, we discussed that as well the other day. If you just had to condense a career into a three-minute highlight reel, who would have the best? Um, is your tooth okay? You went to the dentist yesterday. We're all, we're all sorted. Well, it's very traumatic <laughs> to, to, when you go to the dentist. It was it quite an ordeal, but no, it, um, the crown fell off, so they're trying to put it back on. But... but um, I'm okay. It was worth the wait. I've been wanting to get you for three days. You had to clear it with your other employer. We didn't answer our yep. calls yet. It was absolutely <laughs> worth the wait. Hey, we'll catch up soon. Thanks for thanks for joining us. No, thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. Tony Bye. Modra, uh, what a, uh, well, he's the one for me. Phil, it still um, makes me a little bit nervous when you, when you see him. We had a good discussion on this yesterday and uh, you would have had a, a fair bit to do with him over the journey. Yeah, he always had that aura, didn't he? I actually thought that was a great lesson that if you're in trouble, threaten to quit if you're good. Before you know a light session, you're playing, you're kicking 13. So that's a little little bit of a trick for any of those young players that are pretty good and you've had a bad day. Just I say you're going to quit. Thought, yeah, I always thought Dad was like a really hard old school sort of coach like back in the olden days. He's just gone around to Mods' house and said, oh, don't worry about it. Just come for a massage and we'll still play. Don't worry about missing training. But... So the mystique of that old school hard edge coach is, is now gone in my mind. Uh, we'll be back. Big day coming up on SEN's big weekend, actually. Tomorrow's going to be huge. Gary and Tim back with you from six, celebrating 20 years. 
And the Toyota Caller of the Year is back starting the week of Jan 29. It's your chance to win a 2024 Toyota Hilux GR Sport. All thanks to a Toyota, there's Hilux stock available now. Just contact your local Toyota dealer today.